Welcome to episode 83 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and it's great to have you with me today. Part 1, Initial Insight. During a typical day, we're doing hundreds, if not thousands of things, big and small. Some of them we don't have to be tuned into, such as doing the dishes or walking the dog. We can choose to be fully present and absorbed with those tasks, but often we're listening to music, talking to someone, or otherwise multitasking. There are some things, like reading, learning, creating, being with someone, that just feel better and more satisfying when we are fully present. This goes for work and play. I find my introvert energy is less diffused when I'm able to be fully present, without my mind going in a million directions at the same time as I'm trying to focus on what's in front of me. So I draw on a practice I use with my coaching clients called clearing. You've probably experienced this in one form or another before. It basically involves being very intentional about clearing out the clutter in your mind before you start something. When I ask a client if there's anything he or she wants to clear before we start a coaching call, it could be that he mentions that he's thinking about his daughter who had a cough when she left for school that morning. Or she may share that she's been thinking about a big meeting at work next week. We can acknowledge those thoughts, remind ourselves that we can get back to them later, and then set them aside for the duration of our call. Otherwise, they might continue to bounce around in their heads, leading to a less than productive session. The same is true for things like being with friends and family, or when you're learning something new, or even listening to this podcast. You might get more out of the experience if you've cleared your mind chatter, just for a little while, so that you can be fully present. Another way of thinking about it is releasing. Just let the thoughts go. Imagine writing them down, and then folding up that piece of paper so you don't see the words anymore. Let the paper hold the thoughts for you. You can always open up the paper when you get back later. We're going to take 20 seconds right now to clear before moving on in the podcast. I want you to experience the quiet that helps you to make space in your brain for really taking in what's about to be shared. So let's do that right now. What thoughts do you want to clear? Part two, shameless self-promotion. I've mentioned on here before that my website was getting a facelift and I'm really pleased to share that the surgery is now complete. While I'm excited about the entire site, I'm most excited to share the new resources section that includes new content such as are you an introvert quiz, an introvert frequently asked questions, links to some of my favorite entrepreneurial tools, a store that I call Introvert Island Books, and links to colleagues who serve introverts. More changes and updates will be coming over the summer, but it's ready now if you want to visit. You can see it all at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Part three, the conversation. Before I started The Introvert Entrepreneur, I called my coaching business Intentional Talk. It was my way of saying empowering language, which is basically about choosing our words, especially our self-talk, carefully. So instead of, I should, we say, I want, 
Or instead of "I'm no good at that," we say "I'm learning to become better at it." Our words have power, and nowhere is that more true than the words that originate in our minds. So, in this episode, we dive a bit deeper into how to shift the way we think and the words we use to talk about ourselves and our situation. Our expert is Sir John Hargrave, CEO of Media Shower, the world's premier content marketing company. His new book is called Mind Hacking, and it's about how to reprogram your mind and change your life. It'll be available from Simon and Schuster's Gallery Books in January 2016, or you can get a sneak peek and a free download of the electronic version at m i n d h a c k i dot n g. So that's mind hacking with the dot between the i and the n. Hi, John. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. It is a pleasure to be talking with you today. It is my pleasure. Well, what is making you smile today? I have to say, being on your podcast. Oh well, that's very flattering. Thank you. Talking <laughs> with you, exchanging <laughs> ideas and sharing them with your audience in the future, in the possibly remote future. It's really exciting. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. Well, I like to find out from my guests a, a pretty basic question that my audience is interested in, which is, where do you feel like you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum, and how has that awareness influenced you in your life, in your work, in entrepreneurship? You know, I I'm a fan of the Myers Briggs type indicator, as I know you are as well, Beth. Yes. And I took it years ago, and I landed somewhere right in the middle,、mm-hmm. in that gray zone between. Introvert and extrovert, and what are we supposed to do? People、yeah. in the gray zone. <laughs> you know, there's a name for that. What is it? Ambivert. Amb- <laughs> do you like that? Well, it sounds dirty. Somehow. It does. <laughs> I'm I'm an ambivert. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And、uh, I I think that it is useful actually to have that knowledge because it told me, you know, they they always talk about introvert or extrovert is where you get your energy.、Mm-hmm. And how your energy gets drained, right? So right. I've always thought that, well, I in certain situations can really get my energy from being introverted. In some situations, I can get that energy from being extroverted and give it out both sides as well. So I, I relate, though, however, to the to the introvert nature of your podcast and your message. Ah, thank you. And I think you know, as we go on and talk a little bit more about your book and the work you've been doing, I think that that piece will definitely show itself <laughs> very clearly. So, how did this idea of well, I should back up and and of course I, I shared with listeners in the introduction, but you've written a book called Mind Hacking, and it comes out in January, correct, of twenty sixteen. January twenty sixteen, right? Woohoo! Okay, awesome. And how did this idea of mind hacking come about for you? Well, Beth, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. I've been sober for、uh, about eight years. In the initial days of sobriety, it was very difficult. And anyone who's wrestled with an addiction or even just a habitual pattern of thought, trying to change their life in some meaningful way, as、mm-hmm. we all do, has learned that your mind is one of the most difficult obstacles to overcome. Yeah. I like to say our minds can be our worst enemy, and at the same time, they can be our best friend. And what I gradually learned to do over the years of sobriety was to hack my mind, meaning approaching it like a computer or like a programmer, 
would approach, um, you know, maybe a computer code that had a lot of bugs in it mm -hmm. and learning to identify where those problem thoughts were for me and then reprogram them with that same spirit of creativity that programmers bring to their work. And that's what mind hacking is all about. It's about these collections of hacks or tips or techniques that we can use on our minds to get rid of our problem thinking and really propel our lives into exciting new directions. Well, you describe this process of mind hacking as having three components that I think are also, as you've said, you know, parallel to what we think of as, you know, computer hacking. Um, and you've identified them as analyzing, imagining, and reprogramming. Would you give us a brief overview of what's involved in each of those? Sure. So the first thing is analyzing, and we have to become aware of our minds. It's very difficult to become aware of your mind because most of the time we're in it. Mm -hmm. And so we have in the book a series of, of techniques or exercises, we call them mind games, that you can play to become aware of your mind. And what that does is it pulls you out of the mind a little bit to show you that there is this layer of mind. And by gradually developing that awareness, then you can start figuring out where those problem thoughts are mm -hmm. and then reprogramming them with amazing new positive thoughts. And so being able to bring this, this creativity and this sense of, I want to change the way I think about myself and my life, and here's how I want that to go. That's the real fun, and that's the, the creativity of, of mind hacking. It seems it reminds us all that we have way more control over our thoughts than we realize and the level of impact that has on our lives. Especially as introverts, because yeah. I think that as introverts, because our energy does come from being within, mm -hmm. that we have a almost laser-like ability to focus sometimes on those thoughts um, to our detriment. They can yeah. become obsessions, but also we can learn how to take those powers of focus and turn them into positive constructive loops. Yeah, so th that brings up a great uh, segue to something I wanted to touch on, which is one of my favorite points from early in the book that you made that you said very explicitly and directly, you are not your mind. And as a live-in-my-head introvert, I have to take issue with that. <laughs> I am my mind. But, but seriously, you know, as you just pointed out, many introverts, uh, me included, live in their heads or their minds. What do you mean by that? I think we all live in our heads. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the issue. I use the analogy of a movie theater. So I'm kind of a movie geek. And when I go in to see a movie in the multiplex i'm mm -hmm. always like analyzing the cinematography and the music at the beginning but then if it's a good movie you get lost in it right that's like the right. point of movies is that you get absorbed in this experience and you forget yourself momentarily well that's what's going on in our minds most of the day is we're absorbed in this thing called the mind but if i just ask you to logically look at your mind for a moment, just step outside your mind and think about it, you can logically see that there is something called you that is observing this thing called your mind. Mm -hmm. So the two are not the same, the two, the two are separate. But learning to make that delineation on an everyday basis and learning to make that when these problem thoughts arrive, that's the skill that most of us don't have, and that's the skill that, that we teach in mind hacking.
As I was reading that part, it made me think about the stories you hear of people who have um, had kind of near-death experiences on an operating table. And they talk about being up in the corner of the room and seeing themselves. And I was thinking, you know, that was the visual that came to mind as I, as I read that part. That's interesting. I haven't heard anybody give that interpretation yet. But <laughs> I think that we can all easily see ourselves from, you know, metaphorically from that same perspective right now, again, just by thinking of your own mind. And if you think of it as like a, a programmer would think about a computer or an operating system, that it's this thing that you have control over and you mm -hmm. can go reprogram to do amazing new things. It's not something that binds you, but something that you have the power to direct. That's, that's what's exciting. Yeah, it's a completely open playground, you know, no boundaries. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but you write about the idea of an attention economy, where instead of paying money for things, we're actually paying with our attention. So, for instance, if, you know, $1 is equal to one minute of attention, we're exchanging 10 attention dollars if we spend 10 minutes with a friend. Or, as you point out, and, and this is kind of scary to think about, but over a period of time, we've maybe spent thousands of attention dollars just watching television or even, you know, stressing out about all the stuff that we have to do. So as I read about this, I couldn't help but think about introverts and where they put their attention and most specifically their energy. Because to me, when I think of attention and energy, they're very deeply connected. And when we aren't mindful about where we put our attention, it's natural that we're going to drain that precious energy. What's the mind hack for this particular challenge? I think that's a great insight that attention and energy are related, and attention is a form of energy. There's a lot of research that shows that multitasking is a myth. I define multitasking as doing two or more things badly at once. <laughs> but every time something interrupts our flow of attention or concentration, it takes us out of what we're doing and it does break that flow of energy. So consciously decluttering our lives, especially of digital distractions. So this would be things like text messages, all those email lists you subscribe to, chat requests, Skype, like all of those things are attention suckers. They kind of feed into that, that stream of energy and distract us from the task at hand. In the book, we say take an hour to just consciously streamline your life, mentally declutter from a lot of these digital distractions. And not only will you be more productive, but you'll also get rid of a lot of that feeling of anxiety, that sense of being overwhelmed by the sheer amount of things to do. A lot of that's because your attention is being interrupted so frequently. That's so true. I took about, you know, I, I probably took a couple hours about a week ago and unsubscribed from a whole lot of newsletters that I was not reading. Yeah. Uh, it felt really good. And, <laughs> and it's interesting because I wasn't reading the newsletter, so it was fairly easy to unsubscribe. But what was interesting is that it was still taking my energy and attention because I could see over in my inbox, you know, that little red notification that says you have, you know, 20 unread messages, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And just having that gone, I feel this sense of spaciousness, both in my head and in my inbox. <laughs> and that lets you focus on the things that are truly important. Mm -hmm. One book that I recommend for entrepreneurs is uh, Peter Drucker, the great business writer, wrote a book called The Effective Executive. 
Mm-hmm. And in that book, he talks about how to become more effective with your time, like how to just not get more done, but get the right types of things done. And he makes this point that the most scarce and valuable commodity that we all have is our time. It's not money. Right. You know, it's not resources and other people. It's time. And it's something that we have a limited supply of. We can never create more of it. And we do waste it extravagantly on things that really we shouldn't. So this is a good way of focusing that attention, that concentration, the time, and and thus our our energy into helping our businesses be successful. You're reminding me of a a principle in Dale Carnegie, where he he talks about living in day-tight compartments. And um, it's that just popped into my head because it seems like that's that's part of the key as well of, uh, you know, a mind hack of not being, I call it preemptively exhausted, preemptively worried about things that are happening tomorrow. In an introvert's case, it might be I'm preemptively exhausted because I'm already thinking about the networking event I have to go to tomorrow night. And so there's an opportunity to clear the decks, I guess, and live in that day-tight compartment and manage, you know, just what's right in front of you at that moment instead of allowing all that other clutter to take up space. Yeah, I call them open task loops. Mm, mm -hmm. And the more of those little open task loops that we have, the more stressed out we feel. And a great example of this is when you log into like LinkedIn, for example, it says your profile is 85%. (laughs) Well, my profile has been 85% complete for like 10 years now. And every time I log in, I'm like, I want that 100% complete, but I'm not willing to share that information. So (laughs) The problem is Mm -hmm. these open task loops are built into so many of the technology tools that we use because they know that that's how to get us to use the product more frequently. So we got to take a stand against that and actually reclaim our own time and our own attention, our own energy. Nice. I love that example because that is so true. I think mine is at 90%. So I've got a little bit up on you. But it does. It's it's a little stressful always seeing that. And yeah, being able to close some loops or be able to eliminate the loops. Yeah, get rid <laughs> so, of them all together. Exactly. Yeah. Well, speaking of loops, and as I was talking about kind of, you know, preemptive exhaustion and whatnot, um, what are some mind hacks that introverts can use for intense social situations that will help them to retain, you know, more of their attention, more of their energy than they drain? Well, I... As again, as a an ambivert, I uh, often had a problem with anxiety, and I often I, I had a problem just with feeling comfortable talking with people. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd be talking with somebody, and and I would be constantly worrying about was I standing up straight, or did I have a piece of Swiss chard in my teeth, <laughs> or like what was going on? And there was this underlying negative thought loop, I realized over time, it's like, I'm no good with people. That's basically this Mm -hmm. kind of thing I was telling myself. So I looked at that programming and I said, well, what's the positive loop I could replace that with? And of course, it's I'm good with people. Like I'm a natural conversationalist. I'm gifted (laughs) with people. And so as I started talking to myself, when I'm when I'm looking at like talking with someone as that thought loop goes in my head, I started saying, okay, listen, I'm good with people. And silencing that inner voice by just saying, I'm good with people. You know what? I'm good with people. If I have to, I'm going to just pretend like I'm good with people. Mm -hmm. And over time, 
repeating that positive loop hundreds and thousands of times, it turns out that now I actually am pretty good with people. So <laughs> it works. Yeah, it really works. you're creating, you're, you're practicing what you want to, to be and create. And, you know, as you're describing that, I also think about visualization. You know, do you yeah. see positive visualization or, you know, visualizing, replacing an old movie of, you know, oh, everything that could go wrong with, oh, everything is going to be, you know, ideal. Is that a form of mind hacking? Yeah, in the book, we call it simulation. Okay. And there's a lot of teaching or common popular thoughts about visualization that science does not back up. So we have a lot of research in the book. And everything in the book, uh, we try to back up by actual research. One of the things is just visualizing the end result is not as effective as visualizing the steps that you will take to get to the desired end result. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you want to run a successful business, you don't just visualize yourself, you know, making a, building a $20 million company and sitting in your big CEO chair. You visualize this path of like, well, how are you going to get there? You know, how are you going to get your customers? How do you build your product? What, how are you going to deal with setbacks when they arise? And you see yourself simulating it in your mind, overcoming all of those problems, making mistakes, learning from them, getting the team that you need in place, developing a great product, scaling it so it continues to grow. That whole sequence of events that leads you to that $20 million goal in your head. And there's research that shows when they have students who they say just visualize getting an A on a test versus visualize studying hard and saying no to parties and focusing all your efforts and then getting the A, the second group consistently did better. So that's the mind hack you can take away. Visualize the whole path, not just the end goal. And what I love about that is it's not just about visualizing everything going perfectly, but it's it's visualizing... And, and simulating some of the things that are going to get in your way as well and seeing yourself being able to move through them or handle them. And that seems like it's an important distinction that can make all the difference. Yeah, there's a, a, a whole school of management thought, which is um, when you're undertaking a big initiative, you get the whole team in the room and you basically say, okay, you know, half the group, you assume everything's going to go really great and tell us how, what that's going to look like. And the other half, you assume everything's going to go wrong. And we want you to figure out every possible problem we're going to run into. And the discipline of thinking through all those potential problems and how you're going to respond to it is a very practical way of dealing with those problems and developing the confidence that you have the grit, you have the stamina of overcoming them when they happen. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to an introvert going into some sort of so social situation, which of course is, you know, very um, kind of down on the ground here compared to some of the scenarios we've been talking about. But, you know, I can see saying, you know, you simulate the entire thing, you know, extract yourself from your computer, <laughs> mm -hmm. you prepare for the event, you, you know, you get dressed, you go out the door, you get in your car, um, you drive there, you walk in the door and you might, you know, in the spirit of acknowledging what might not be a desirable aspect of this, it might be you walk in and you don't know anybody or everybody's already talking and you don't know how to break into a conversation. But then to imagine and simulate that you are able to do that with ease. Would you say that that's perhaps something that somebody could try? Yeah, that's exactly right. And another hack that you can play with is just um, pretend like you're acting in a play. Pretend like mm -hmm. you are 
literally playing a role, and the role is someone who is confident and self-assured mm-hmm. and is at ease with talking with people. And so when those doubts start to arise, you just say, well, what would that character do and how would they respond? And that's fun. Like, I think it's really enjoyable to almost, you know, inhabit this person that you want to be. And the sky's the limit. Your imagination is the only boundaries into who you can become when you use that mind hack. Yeah. And maybe that's why there are so many um, actors and actresses who are introverts. Or I should say introverts who are actors and actresses. Yeah. <laughs> um, they get to inhabit a role. And yeah. uh, it, there's, that's liberating. Yeah, it is. It is. But, but all of us are inhabiting a role to some mm-hmm. degree. Yeah. And that role is malleable. That role can be changed to be whatever it is that, that you really want to be. That's the fun of it. Well, before we wrap up, you had mentioned this before, that throughout the book you have some mind games. And I would love for you to share with us one mind game that you think would be particularly powerful for introvert entrepreneurs who want to bring more focus into their work. Yeah, well, the the foundational mind game is concentration training. We talk about it kind of like a Luke Skywalker getting uh, the Jedi training. <laughs> But Mm -hmm. basically, you may know it as as mindfulness or meditation. The idea is you spend about 20 minutes in the morning every day. And for the first two or three minutes, you just focus on relaxing your body. And then for the rest of the time, you focus on your breath. And the idea is to stay as uh, focused with that concentration as you can on the breath. And invariably, what happens is you notice that you have gotten caught up in a thought stream. Mm -hmm. And so then you consciously um, bring it back to the breath. But when you do that, you award yourself a point. So we make it kind (laughs) of like a video game and we call them awareness points. Mm -hmm. So every time you remember to focus back on the breath and you kind of catch yourself thinking, you get a point. And then you record your score over time. You record it in a little notebook and and measure your score as you gain experience with this. So what that does, and it's perfect for introverts because we love sitting by ourselves anyway. Mm -hmm. What that does is it creates this clarity and again, helps get us at a higher level, this kind of super user level or admin level of our mind, above our mind. And then throughout the day, you'll find that as these thoughts start coming up, you'll, because you've been practicing it, you've been practicing getting out of those thoughts, you'll suddenly, that habit will kick in and you'll go, oh yeah, this is a thought and this is something that I don't have to listen to. I don't have to believe everything my mind says. Right, don't believe everything you think, Right, (laughs) as they say. Nice, well, thank you for sharing that. It definitely... It, it seems like it um, it matches the, 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 the fact that you're giving points to yourself seems to match a, also like a goal-driven piece of motivation to and, and to raise your awareness just of, you know, how often are you doing it? And then as you practice, how much you're improving and, and growing in that area. Yeah. And tons of research shows this kind of, uh, you know, concentration training improves your health, your focus, your mm-hmm. well-being, your clarity, your relationships, uh, lots of, of science behind it as well. Well, I want to conclude our time together with a question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, if you are granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island and you could take three books with you, what would you take with you and why? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough one. Three weeks. <laughs> Only three. On, 
three weeks on Introvert Island. Is that like a package deal? Do you? How do you get to Introvert Island anyway? By cruise? boat. Yeah. Is it just like a one person? It it's must be a one be, person right? boat. Yeah, the the driver drops you off and then comes back and gets you when it's over. <laughs> there wouldn't be any cruise ships going to Introvert Island. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But you know, if you're an ambivert, you might want that. So you know, you can make special arrangements. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my all-time favorites is The Road Less Traveled. Mm-hmm. It's a terrific book by uh, the uh, late M. Scott Peck, uh, one of the most brilliant psychiatrists of all times. And it's a, kind of a philosophy on personal growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, very dense, difficult to understand. I've read it many times in my life. I always get something new. So that would be one. I would say the second one would be um, a novel called Skinny Legs and All by <laughs> Tom Robbins, who is, I think, one of just the craziest, most imaginative fiction writers out there. And it is a very interesting kind of metaphorical, metaphysical novel about a dancer and a restaurant owned by a Palestinian and a Jew. It defies description. Wow. But there's something transcendent about that novel. Uh, And if you read it, I think you'll see what I mean. And the third book, I get three books. Yes. I can't bring my entire Kindle can no, I? no, I should have put that little caveat that it's uh, traditional paper books. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the old-fashioned kind. Yeah. I would bring Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Piercing. I had to read this as a freshman in college, and I thought it was so dense and difficult, and I hated it. I literally tore the book up as soon as school started. <laughs> then I read it 10 years later. I was a little older wiser and I thought this is the most brilliant book I've ever read uh, just full of philosophy and, and meaning and this whole sense of quality that he talks it's about this cross-country road trip he takes and you can't read it and not want to just buy a motorcycle <laughs> and like go across the country by yourself as an introvert nice nice well thank you so much for sharing all of the the wisdom that you've gained over the years and the the mind hacks that you've developed and I know there are many more in your book And so how can people learn more about you and get a copy of the book themselves? So the book is coming out in January 2016 uh, at bookstores everywhere. Or if you're listening to this in the remote future, it has already arrived. (laughs) And uh, in the meantime, however, you can read a complete preview copy of the book for free at mindhacky.ng. That's uh, mindhacking with a dot ng, no dot com. And uh, we've kind of open sourced this book to get as many people reading it as possible, but also we've gotten so much great feedback from the mind-hacking beta testers, the people who've read this book before, that it's really enabled us to make the program even better. There's an app, a free app that you can download and uh, go through this 21-day program to learn mind-hacking and make it a part of your own own life. Excellent, excellent. And do you have a website, blog, social media? You know, where can people connect with you? Uh, Yeah, so I'm also the CEO of uh, the content marketing company Media Shower, and you can read our blog at uh, mediashower.com. That's M-E-D-I-A-S-H-O-W-E-R.com, and I blog regularly there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, John. It's been awesome talking to you. I love your book, and I can't wait for it to come out in January, but I'm so grateful to have a sneak preview now. Thank you for making that uh, open source available, and thank you so much. Thanks, Beth. It was great. Part four, final reflection. 
The day after John and I had our conversation, I came across an article online titled, Researchers Say They've Cracked the Code to Being Happy. To be honest, I was afraid it was going to be another article that extolled the virtues of having large social circles or lots of friends, because most often that's what they're about. Instead, the article said this, Dr. Amit Sood led the research and says, the first and foremost way to be happy is to focus our attention. You can choose to live focusing on what is not right about your life, Dr. Sood said. Experts say the human mind is instinctively restless, wandering from good thoughts to sad thoughts, scary thoughts, and everything in between. But if we learn to command our thoughts, shifting perspective away from the negative and embrace the positive, we will be happier, experts say. Resiliency has everything to do with happiness, Dr. Sood said. I do agree that we need to take command of our thoughts. But as John pointed out in our conversation, there is room to acknowledge the negative so that we move through it rather than negating it. I'm guessing the researchers don't believe we just need to turn our frown upside down, but I think it bears mentioning that seeing the negative thoughts as information rather than something to dismiss will help with our ability to be resilient. You can purchase the full report on the Mayo Clinic website, and it's titled The Mayo Clinic Handbook for Happiness. And of course, remember to take John up on his generous offer of the free download of the ebook version of Mind Hacking. You don't have to share an email address or sign up for anything. Just click and download the version that you want. And that URL again is mindhacking, M-I-N-D-H-A-C-K-I dot N-G. In closing, a word of appreciation to Paul Messing, podcast producer, and to you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues, and take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur. Until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.